ourselves. We preach Christ. Jesus, illuminate that which you need to this morning in our hearts, in my heart, in all of our hearts. Um, Holy Spirit, your word is living as a two-edged sword. It is also water. Whatever it needs to be in our hearts this morning, individually and corporately, we say, yes, Jesus, uh, not ourselves, but Christ. Well, I've only said hello to a few of you, uh, by, uh, probably like five of you, but my son has sat with a number of you already. Um, I came in and my wife, Ruth, was like, babe, babe, Jerusalem's there, just sitting down next to that gentleman. And he's just there sitting right next to you, looking up at you every now and then. Um, it's, uh, so thank you for him. I don't know what your name is. What is your name? Mike, thank you, Mike, for uh, going along with that and, uh, and just flowing with it, not being awkward, uh, just letting him sit with you. Um, if he hasn't already said g'day to you, um, you may get an opportunity. You might just tug on your shirt during the service or he might fall asleep, Lord willing, um, <laughs> because usually he's asleep by now. So um, praise God for Ruth. Ruth is uh, amongst everything that she juggles. She is such a support and uh, praise God for you, babe. Um, wherever you are, rocking that stroller, um, getting him to sleep. Um, it's, so, it's quite funny. You may, I don't want to make any age assumptions, but you may be able to relate to this. Now, I may look like I'm quite savvy technologically, but I still write notes on paper. I can't shift to, like, I might jot down things on the digital, but when I want it to stick, I always go back to pen and paper. That just sort of helps me stick a lot more, but I realise the people that give the argument for technology um, have definitely won out this morning for myself, because I left the papers at home. Um, so I thought, that's why they use their phones. Okay, all right, proven. Um, but anyway, we will, uh, we will go on. Um, Jesus be the centre of the church is what we sung this morning. And uh, I know that resonated for uh, many of us this morning. And I feel like Jesus would um, want to say to us this morning that um, you are my church. You are my beloved bride. And I am coming. I don't know how meaningful those words may be for you this morning. If you know Jesus, I would assume those are precious if you don't know Jesus, ask someone. If you're not sure if you do, move quickly and talk to someone today. What is a privilege? When you hear the word privilege, what is a privilege to you? I don't know what you're imagining right now, but whatever designates a privilege in your mind... If someone set before you a privilege, would you take it? I know what comes to mind for me when I think about what is a privilege. I'd be pretty quick to take it. <laughs> Not going to ask any questions in case they change their mind. What do you expect a privilege to look like if God was to give you one? What would you expect that to look like? We um, had communion before. 
what did Jesus expect a high calling to look like? It's one we still remember around the world as a body of Christ. The reading that was read out, we will get back to because it relates particularly to us. But in the scriptures in Philippians 2, it says this, starting at verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. In what way did he serve? Some of you are serving on teams this morning. Some of you are serving your families. Maybe through much uh, vexing this morning, you were serving your children, your grandkids, or you got a text from the other echelon of the dynasty talking about their morning or their week. Jesus became a particular type of servant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And for this reason also, God highly exalted him. He bestowed on him the name which is now above every name. He's granted him the privilege of having the name that is above every name. One of the other passages of scriptures talks about because of his um, obedience, yes, he gave up and he sacrificed, he suffered, and we know the story of the gospel is in great suffering came out a a total game changer for the entire world in all of history. Jesus' suffering brings on a game changer for the entire world and its trajectory. And then on the other side, he is bestowed a name that is above every name. What's a privilege? What's a high calling? Today, I want to tell you a few stories. I want to um, also give you an opportunity to hear in their own words from your persecuted brothers and sisters. And I also want to use some scriptures, uh, like I have. I, I, um, the passage that you read, sometimes I just keep to that, but I heard you are people in this church that really appreciate the word. So I wanted to bring the angle of Christ because we're going to get to the angle of us. And the privilege set before us. And I want to do this just at the start because I want to give dignity to what the Lord might be doing amongst us corporately and also individually. What the Spirit might be saying and what He might be doing through His Word. Usually at the very end, I would talk about if you're an individual and you align with the work that you're going to hear about with Open Doors. And I know that many of you, certainly your church, knows much about our work. Hands up if you've supported in prayer or financially the work of Open Doors or ministries like that. Yeah, thank you for taking it to heart. 
Um, so usually I do this at the end, but I just want to say if after you've heard the stories and, um, and the different work that we do and you're sitting there and you haven't already or you want to um, give in some way to the ministry, come and see me at the table. We just talk about um, what sort of subscription in your life could you match. We all, many people have a Netflix subscription or they have a magazine subscription or they have some sort of streaming TV subscription. What's the smallest subscription in your life that you could match to bless the body around the world? I wonder, could you be open to that question as I share, as well as what God might be doing in your own heart? If that speaks to you and the Lord speaks to you in some way, come and see me at the table. I won't, um, I won't make uh, a drawn-out thing at the end. Um, I'll put that right at the beginning. What is the privilege that right across the world, they say 2.8 billion, I'm sure if we really find out who is following Jesus in their hearts versus who is just living amongst people who follow Jesus, maybe that figure's smaller, maybe it's greater, I don't know. But right now, 2.8 billion people and plenty more right throughout the centuries honour this thing that changed everything for the world and certainly has changed everything for us in our hearts if you know Jesus and you're following Jesus today. Because suffering, and I know as I've been catching up with Tim, you've been talking about persecution and that it happens and it's not a surprise and it was in the life of the apostles and in Paul's life. So to what purpose? Why would it be a privilege? Maybe we could understand for Christ and our beloved Jesus, and, and um, that it was necessary, name above every name, why should it be such for us? Why did Jesus say, in this life you will have trouble? If they hated me, they will hate you. What is the purpose of such a thing in the life of a Christian and in the life of those around? The answer to that is many, and mostly that's above my pay grade, but I want to give you one thought. This morning, But before I do so, um, I want to introduce to you um, some brothers and sisters um, to hear from their own mouths about their story and uh, what they've experienced and what it's cost to follow Jesus. Uh, have a watch. I think it's slide five. It's really a um, privilege to be able to work with an organization that sees the treasure of God's heart sees the apple of Christ's eye, the bride of Christ, you guys. It's you guys just in another land. It's the, uh, the same equal privilege for me to be with you this morning and be having communion together and be sharing about our family. Open Doors um, looks to Help people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. And the critical language in that is no matter the cost, because it costs. It even costs to some degree here. You know, Jesus used the word trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Uh, it's, persecution is a spectrum. We're going to be talking about context and circumstances. If, if we talk about a spectrum, that's very much down this end of the spectrum. But it does go all the way back that way. 
And I'm sure if we were to talk further to each other over a cuppa or whatever will be afterwards, you could tell me some about troubles in your own life. What Open Doors looks for around the world and our filter for how we help is um, we're in over 70 of the most dangerous countries partnering there with Christians to help them follow Jesus no matter the cost. What you see up there is every um, year uh, a research unit develops um, and releases the top uh, 50 most dangerous countries to be a Christian. Many of you will be aware of that. The last 25 years had submissions to the UN, UK, US, Oz Parliament, and uh, the darker colours is where it's most dangerous. The lighter colours is where um, the persecution level won't mean, like in the dark colours, your life. You know, you look at anywhere in the top five countries, certainly in the top two and the top three, uh, that's the top country over there, number one, for the last 18 years. If anyone wants to shout that name out. If there's just suspicion that you love Jesus in that country, that's enough for you and your whole family at least to go to jail. If they so wish, um, they will bring charges to you and it won't mean nothing for you to be shot dead before trial or after trial. Um, it is not unusual in some of the higher countries where it's dangerous to be a Christian um, for someone to hold up one of these and goes in, in a school classroom with little kids. Who knows what this is? And so the tension becomes for people that love Jesus, do we tell our children? Can you imagine that tension? It's just too risky. And yet some still take that risk. Some wait till later on. Some never know that that's what my grandma was doing. They have to escape to, say, another country like China and uh, where they encounter the gospel. And then they realize, so back in my home country, when my grandma used to kneel down and I would have to watch at the window to see if anyone was coming, and my grandma would say, help! And use a particular word that I didn't know what that word meant. And thought, why doesn't, God, why doesn't um, grandma just go and talk to that person? Why is she just yelling out? Helping people follow Jesus worldwide, no matter the cost. So our question is, where are these countries in the most dangerous types of countries? Where are the areas within that country that people are so hard-pressed, that Christians that love Jesus are so hard-pressed, that they're thinking, maybe this morning, maybe I need to get out of here. Maybe I can no longer, uh, in a country that I was in last year in Iraq, maybe I can no longer live in this area with my family because I'm a Christian, I won't be given work. Or I fled because ISIS extremists, um, at the height of their power, came through and took over everything, and now I've gone home, and there are new occupants in my house because they didn't have to flee. And they said, oh, your house is now our house. Can you imagine um, 
a community much like yours. Not just one person, but imagine if everyone in this church next weekend, something unexpected happened. And as you all talked and word got out, you decided, I think the whole community just needs to leave and we need to leave tonight. And then you go to the Sunshine Coast or Gympie, you know, one of them. And the whole community goes and you rock up to a church and, and you get there and you say, hey, we're not necessarily of your flavor of Christianity, but we've got nothing but what we're holding. Would you help us? And so work in that type of country is many people have to flee. And there's a biblical examples of that happening. But our heart is, if this church wasn't here on this street, everyone had to leave, what about the light of the gospel? What about if the witness of Jesus and the whole Morden Bay region just left, had to get out? What does that mean for hearts that might still be ripe in that area? And so what are the Christians in the hardest places of the worst countries to be if you're a Christian? What do they need to stay? Whether it's Bibles, whether it's training, whether it's aid. When it's training, it's persecution, preparedness training. What is a privilege? In First Philippians 27, verse 30, so the chapter before the one I read out, it says this, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, and that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Why do they need to strive? Verse 28, in no way, I'm going to insert B, because that's what's missing there. Um, Not that I'm a grammarian, that should be correcting the writer of Philippians, uh, as my wife can tell you. Um, But um, let's read it that way. In no way be alarmed by your opponents. That's pretty hard, isn't it? When you've got opponents. Even if it's another person that loves Jesus. You know, you can be put on the back foot and you can get, alarm may not be the right word, but it's in the spectrum. You know, something happens in your heart and, and there's anxiety and it, you feel like you're on the back foot. It's hard, but imagine if it's someone outside the body and they want your blood. <laughs> and you're being told, don't be alarmed. Psychologically, the questions that you are asking yourself, if you live in the top 50 most dangerous countries, you are asking yourself serious questions. Well, maybe I should convert for the good of my children, for the very survival of my family. In no way be alarmed. Travel, travel down a bit. But um, for to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe, You haven't just been granted this beautiful thing to believe that's created this freedom in your heart, but also to suffer for his sake. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 14. Can you see there's a privilege that does get set before people that love Jesus? Many types of privileges, but there is a particular one which as 1 Peter 
um, shares with us and uses particular language around it. Chapter 4, 12 and 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at this fiery ordeal. I met a man when we were in Iraq and he owned three businesses in the city uh, that he was from. And he was one of those that just, of that 200, just had to pick up everything and get out of there. Comes to another city, has nothing. Sorry, what? You did what? Okay. You're into food, you did something with that. One of the, my um, colleagues asked him later as we heard his story and the horrible destruction. You bump into a story, you bump in Iraq, you bump into something really horrible, traumatic that's happened. And a colleague asked, do you blame God for what happened? And it went through a translator, <laughs> got to him, and once it was translated to him, it was like a computer error over his face. It's, and he said what he said and it translated back and then into English came back to us and it, it, the words matched his face. He said, blame God. Why would I blame God? I like God. God is good. There's this idea for them that we've never known a time without these things. We're not surprised by these things. It doesn't take us unaware. It is traumatic you have to speak to Pakistan, which is number five on the most dangerous, but it's number one in terms of physical manifestations of violence. We talk about two different things um, within the organization, and one is um, squeeze and smash. Smash is physical violence when, in terms of the measuring of all these things. Um, and squeeze is indirect pressure. Maybe it's laws or maybe it's just family or ethnic groups or tribal groups or culture. Pakistan is number five on the most dangerous overall, but it's number one for the um, greatest amount of physical violence manifested towards the church but, and particularly towards women. And so you can imagine the need there is if you are um, a wife of of a pastor there and, and, um, and there you are supporting and doing all the things that you know that would happen in that type of scenario. Um, but because you love Christ and you were in the wrong spot and maybe you were loving people out of the freedom of your own heart to someone who's not in the Christian community and then the outsiders go, well, this is dangerous. People are experiencing a love from you. And so someone gets some sort of apparatus and starts whipping your back again and again and again. How do you continue to love <laughs> others? Maybe you have even got a question of, does God love me? Has, that this has happened. That's why when we do persecution training, it's, it's talking about the, um, the theology of persecution. Don't be surprised. Hey, if you're going to put the hand to the plow with Jesus, you may be tempted to look back. So let's just tell you up front, don't be surprised. The writer goes on to say, Do not be surprised for the fiery ordeal um, that has come among you. Um, which comes upon you for testing as though some, don't see it as though some strange thing were happening to you. But this is the clincher. But to the degree that you share 
the sufferings of Christ. Keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. How is it that you are blessed? How is it um, that word means uh, in, in many areas of the scripture, blessed has this connotation of favored. You've been given the gift of the kingdom. You are blessed. How is it that you are blessed? How is it that God is glorified through that? It's because there is something that's been uniquely bestowed to the church in the world that no other institution and no other human-formed idea has. And it's been uniquely bestowed to the church, but not all take it. I was preaching um, at a church around the shootings in New Zealand around that time of the year. And um, it was a friend of mine uh, from North Lakes, actually. And, um, and I said to him, I gave him a call uh, a couple of days out from the Sunday because it had happened the, the Sunday before. And I just said, hey, mate, just thought I'd check. Are there any New Zealanders in your community? Um, are people in your church talking about this? I don't want to assume that they are. And, uh, and he said to the first question, yes, there are New Zealanders. And yes, we've been talking about it. And I said, well, what, what do you want me to do with that? Should I, do you want me to mention it? Because it's something that's really quite up the top of everyone's minds and hearts. Or should I just leave it? And he said, no, I'd, you know, I'd like you to mention it. What struck me around the time in New Zealand and demonstrates this example of what's uniquely been gifted to the church of Jesus Christ for reasons that we've all participated in today, is the language around the world during the shooting in a very um, right way, and it was, a, it was a right response, was to be, how can we love the Muslim community? And praise God, the church was on the forefront of that in many places in Australia, New Zealand, and certainly around the world. But when you think about it, in that situation that happened, and it's the type of thing that I'm reflecting on because I'm, we're confronted with it in our work every day almost, of people dying for the name of Jesus because they've been killed. What struck me was that who was the enemy in that scenario? It's, it's not our beloved brothers and sisters who don't follow Jesus, but have come from the creative mind of God, praise God, and have been seated onto the earth, been born into the world, but by God's grace. We were loving that community, but who was the enemy in that scenario? I can already hear some people verbalizing it, and I'm sure most of you are probably there in your mind. I was quite confronted with how am I loving our enemy right now? 
that man that took up a gun for reasons that I do not understand. I can't get my head around. Like, I, you, sure, you can read the reasons, but I can't psychologically get around how, why. And I was confronted by, what am I doing to pray for that man? The work that Open Doors does echoes the words of Jesus in Luke 6 and in Luke's rendering. He says to those that are in front of him, he says, um, you have heard it said, love your neighbor. And beautifully, we saw that demonstrated here, didn't we? We were asking ourselves, these brothers and sisters who aren't, all, who aren't following Jesus, but we're called to love them, we're going to love our neighbor. Jesus the wording in Luke says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, love your enemy. Any Joe Blow can get on board with loving your neighbor. But as soon as you, as soon as you breach with me, as soon as you've caused alarm in my heart, as soon as there is a fiery ordeal, poor oh man, <laughs> I feel like that's above my pay grade. So, the question, what purpose? To what purpose then? If it's a privilege, to what purpose? And I'll finish up with two stories. Well, the purpose got read out at the beginning. And it is this. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. There are people amongst us, there are people at your work, there are people who are your neighbours who are veiled to the gospel. And Jesus says the harvest is ripe, so there's ripeness all around us. But there are some hearts who are so veiled that there are specific circumstances through which they will come to Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says that they've been blinded by the God of this world. Now I'm just moving quickly to get to the scriptures I want to focus on. So that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves. We do not preach, hey, look at me. I'm just like you but better. We don't preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and as ourselves, as bondservants for Jesus' sake. Okay, so what does that mean? Aren't we, aren't we living as a fragrance, Nathan? Like, aren't we, don't people notice our lives and glorify God? Yeah, the scripture says that, but this is talking about a specific um, um, way of, of reaching those who are veiled. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So there's light in your heart and it's the knowledge of Christ. It's the freedom of Christ. But it also has a lot to do with this and why we do this together to remind ourselves because this Christ responded when some privilege, a high calling was set before it. He responded in a particular way. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So we're, we're not ourselves because we're fragile. There are moments where I react poorly to my wife. There are moments where I just can't, it takes me maybe even years to get over something. 
by God's grace, he keeps working on me. Verse 7, but so we're earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. And then it says we are afflicted, we are crushed, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Verse 11 says the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. So what is it saying? There are certain circumstances and there is a level of ripeness that is around you and there is even a level of ripeness in those who may be pressing you in some way who may love to mock you, who may even come after your very life. And so if you were to look at them on the outside, you would go, this is a no-hoper, this is an enemy. But Jesus, why did he say love your enemy? Why did he say when everyone, um, when we were enemies of Christ, that he came and he did what we just remembered earlier. It's because when you love your enemies, there is something that happens to the hardest hearts. And I'll share two stories to finish up. Um, the hardest hearts that when they see a response, because they know they've lived some life, they know what earthen vessels and how earthen vessels respond. They know what it looks like in their own heart to lash out when someone lashes out at them. When they see something that is not normal human response, they go, what is this? And maybe in your, even in your workplace, they go, no, 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 I know this person. They don't respond like that. In fact, no one responds like that. But the knowledge of the light of Christ in 2 Corinthians 4 is coming out. So it's very clear it's not of yourselves because you don't preach yourself, you preach Christ. What are you preaching? It's your response to when you are rubbed. And in the, um, in when it says, we are afflicted in every way. We are crushed, perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And they're responding with the knowledge of the light of Christ. There is a privilege that is set before us. I don't know when the last time you were insulted, and maybe it wasn't about your Christianity, but maybe there's that individual who knows you're a Christian and they do insult you, they do mock you. When was the last time you thought, you know what, this is actually joining in the sufferings of Christ? Jesus said, you'll be insulted and you'll be mocked for my name. What if we showed joy? What if we responded with, oh, mate, you're always giving a little bit of a crack, aren't you? And people go, why does it not? That's not normal. Why does he respond that way? In Aussie culture, that's a put down. One sister I wonder if you could stand in the door. I wonder if you've ever stood in, a, in the opening of a doorway. You can't stand in a door, so I won't ask you to do that, which I just did. Um, <laughs> sister in Syria. 
Islamic extremists coming into their region. In that area, if you don't have a, um, um, in that country, sorry, and that's what I mean by the area, in that whole a- regional area, if, if you're a woman and you don't have a male family member or a husband anymore that's still living, that's a real problem. And if you're furthermore a Christian, that's even another level of a problem. This sister, during uh, the height of um, some Islamic Absolute terror in their region, killing Christians, doing what they like to churches. She was keeping women in her home and just being a safe haven. And this one particular day, she could hear the extremists outside on their street, going into houses, gunshots, taking what they wanted all the worst scenarios that you could think of, that's what's happening on this street. I wonder what questions you'd be thinking about. I wonder what, if that's your house, you're looking after these women and you're thinking they're about to come to our door. They got to her door. And I don't know if it was right at the beginning or if it was when they knocked to get entrance or they just made a statement of we're coming in. But she stood, leaning into the door. And these men outside are yelling and going, you let us in, don't you know what we're going to do to you? And she just kept leaning, this sister who loves Jesus, the knowledge of the light of Christ of, you know what, this is not my home, this is an internal, this is a temporal place. The courage of, of Christ in her life, making her do such a thing, the audacity standing in this doorway. And they're cursing her. But they couldn't get in. They couldn't budge the doorway, whether it was just uh, the door was awkward or it was the Lord doing something supernatural. Um, uh, The sister, um, she said, I don't know much what happened really after that other than eventually they just were gone and they didn't get in. A week later, they came back and they said, "Um, you're coming with us. Our leader wants to meet you. So she went off with them and came before one of the um, Islamic militant leaders in that region. And here she is, this bold, courageous woman who the knowledge of Christ is, it was a game changer. It's changed everything for her. And this man, who's killed many people before, ordered the deaths of countless people, says to her off the bat, how is it that you stand the way that you do before me? Most people, when they come before me, they are whimpering, they are on their knees, they are begging, they are pleading, they are an absolute mess. But you are doing none of those things. This woman of God just standing in front of this regional leader. (laughs) So his next question was, who's behind you to give you such courage? Which government? Is it the US? Who's behind you that you stand before me in such a way? And she said, no, you've got it wrong. 
It's the courage of my Lord that's given to me that I stand here before you in such a way. She goes on in the next 20 minutes to preach the gospel to this man. Boldly. The knowledge of the light of Christ, of going, you're not my enemy. You're just like me. You're just an earthen vessel. She's allowed to go and... There are a number of theories and rumors that that man the next day, that leader, who as she's sharing the gospel, tears are streaming down his face, disappeared and left that life, never seen again. Wasn't killed, wasn't beheaded because they realized, oh, this guy, the tears, and maybe he was impacted by Jesus. He got out. What is a privilege? What does it mean to join in the sufferings of Christ? It may be that in 2 Corinthians 4, I'd encourage you to look at it if it struck you in terms of in your heart and the spirit of going, hey, pay attention to a privilege. Not everyone is down that end of the spectrum. Maybe some of you will be. But we're all somewhere on it. But there's something about the example of Christ of entering into sufferings that brings about a total game changer for the whole world. That brought the knowledge of the light of Christ coming through your heart, how you respond. There are some of the hardest hearts. I could tell you um, another story if we had time of a gentleman who um, literally was kneeling down and had a gun um, to uh, his head, a brother in Central Asia who I got to meet his friend earlier on in the year. I couldn't get a chance to meet him, unfortunately. And he had a gun to his head and the militant said, any last words? And he said, Lord, I pray for this man. I pray that you would bless his family. I pray that he would come to know the knowledge of Jesus. I pray he starts dot pointing the gospel. This guy is so, um, so just psychologically warped by what he sees in front of him, totally discombobulated. He sh- shouts to this man and says, I'm about to take your life and all you can do is bless me. It so wigged him out that he said, you can go, but I'll be back in a week and I'll kill you. And in a week's time, he comes back. There's much of this story, but the week later he comes back and he says, um, on, the, on the weekend, we were up in the mountains, me and my fellow um, leader of this area, and we we're meeting with a whole bunch of other leaders. And at the end, as we're coming down the mountains, government forces started, am- they ambushed us and, and there was firing everywhere. You came to us in the midst of everything. And you said to us, if you jump into that body of water over there, you'll be saved. So me and my co-leader did it, jumped in the water, only two people that survived. He said, we have two questions for you. Firstly, how is it that you came to us? And secondly, how is it you weren't shot? And the brother, having already demonstrated what it means to follow Jesus and the knowledge and the light of Christ, on this man who had cold-bloodedly killed many people, he says to him, no, 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 it wasn't me. But it was my God that sent an angel that looked like me, 
because I've been praying for an opportunity and this may be your last time that you will ever hear that Jesus, and he starts dot pointing the gospel and the knowledge of the light of Christ. There are some, the harvest is ripe and there are some in your life who are so hard, they're either in a very dark place or their hearts are really hard or they're imprisoned by something and when they see you, it might really get their goat or they might insult you or they might mock you or they might do worse than that. But if you dare to take the privilege that is in front of you and receive it with joy, and that takes time to make that a habit, right? That's not an easy thing. We don't talk about easy things. We need the Spirit to sanctify But those hearts that are so hard that they will only come if you boldly stand up and go, behind that door, or you're kneeling metaphorically and you just let the knowledge of the light of Christ out. And they go, nah, that's not normal human response. I need to know more. It's a game changer of the cross And it's the game changer privilege that's given to those in the church, to all of us, in whatever country. They can't be in our country, reaching out to your neighbours, but we can't be in their country, not all of us anyway. Well, be blessed, be encouraged. You are the bride of Christ. And not all of us will have such a privilege but all of us will experience on the spectrum in some way. And Jesus is saying to you, hey, pay attention. This is actually right where I want them. This is actually right, and not just where I want them, I want them in proximity with you. Because you reach out to people in a way that Nathan Harding doesn't. You're not missing opportunities. God is just trying to push you and go, hey, you know the way that you would reach out? the way you would handle the insult, do that because it will have an impact that maybe not all of you will get to see. But it's not our business to save. It's our, bring, it's our business to bring in the harvest. He's the master of it. He owns the storehouse. He calls the instructions. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the master And Jesus, you are the one who was obedient even unto death. And in such obedience, the obedience unto death, there is a great reward. There is a great treasure. It may not be the physical death. It might be an ego death. It might be um, dying to your pride. It might be just dying to, but I really don't want to make time for my neighbour right now because I know they talk a lot. And I've got a number of things to do. Jesus, help us to see and be ready and allow your knowledge and your light to come out for your glory in the church to every generation as we heard earlier. Amen.